So we've uh, already sung measures of Psalm 63. Now we'll read it, and um, this is what we'll meditate on this morning. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of the liars will be stopped. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, we pray that uh, you would be with Pastor Andrew this morning. Our brother is suffering from some difficulties. We pray that we'd be especially good listeners, that you would give him the strength that he needs at this time, and praise you for what you've done already to help him to prepare and help us to prepare to hear your message. And uh, it's your message with authority and power, even though it's spoken by a sinful man and heard by sinful people. Give us refuge that is not known in this world, except that you provide it through Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I always love it when the Elders mention you're suffering from vague, undefined difficulties. <laughs> it's so true, right? Yeah. yeah, it's just a cold. But there's probably more than that, too. Uh, here's the promise. Increased happiness, compassion, better health, and relationships. Who's going to sign up for that? Yeah, we'll all sign up for that. Actually, 11 million people uh, have signed up for that from the app Headspace. Headspace is the number one meditation app that is out there. Its designers were Andy Puticum and, and Richard uh, Pearson. Uh, Forbes currently estimates that the app is worth over 250 
million dollars. Uh, it is one app. There are others, Calm. There's, there's a few other of these wellness apps. And they promise this into a society where uh, mental health costs are predicted to hit the $6 trillion mark by 2030, greater than the cost of diabetes, respiratory disorders, cardiovascular disease, cancer, all of these things. As many as uh, one in five, one in four young people today, uh, high school age and college, are, are suffering with severe anxiety and depression. Uh, so there is a market for this kind of wellness. There is a market for this kind of uh, guide to health. In fact, that's what Puttacum and Pearson, uh, their ultimate aspiration, and these, uh, this is a quote, is that Headspace could become the most comprehensive guide to health and happiness in the world. I want to counter that this morning uh, with Psalm 63. Psalm 63 comes to us in a world that is racked with anxiety, in a world that is racked with depression, and says there is something that you cannot find in an app. There is something that you cannot find in, in mindfulness or meditation that, that does not have the object of God. And, and I, I bring it to you this morning uh, as we are talking about missions. I mean, this week, we're, you're going to hear a little bit more uh, next week. We, we, are, we are focused on this idea that we have something to offer the world. I would contend that the scriptures give us the most comprehensive guide to health and wellness anywhere. You're not going to find it in headspace. You're not going to find it in calm. You're going to find it right here in the pages of the scriptures. And I want Psalm 63 to be our guide this morning. Basically, you, you have two locations. You have what I'm calling the wilderness, or actually what the psalm calls the wilderness, or if you want to call it the wasteland, you can do that as well. And then we have what I'm calling the wetlands, two very different ecosystems uh, in which we can live, but the psalm takes us there. It's a psalm that says, uh, a psalm of David, when he was in the wilderness of Judah. There's a couple of different times when this could have been in his life. One could have been when he was on the run from Saul. He was clearly in a wilderness at that time, hiding in caves, on the run for his life, all of these different things. The more likely time is uh, 2 Samuel 15 and 16, when he was actually on, on the run from his own son, Absalom. The reason why we say this is the more likely time is because he identifies himself as the king. Uh, so when he was on the run from Saul, uh, he was not yet the king. But verse 11 says, you know, the king uh, puts his trust in, in God. So he's on the run from Absalom. His own son wants to take over his throne. His own son has declared a coup against his dad. And so uh, David is 
got relational angst and a tearing apart of his family. He's temporarily lost his job and his calling as the king of Israel as he goes out. Uh, he uh, is turned upon by his most trusted advisors. And I, I mean, there is just everything that is just falling apart in David's life. And you see that in the language here, right? You see things like, uh, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Uh, he didn't have the supplies that they needed. Uh, Ziba, the servant of Meshibetheth, had to bring out some bread and meet them. And uh, so literally there was a physical hunger and thirst as they were going on. He was staying up through the watches of the night, verse 5. Uh, it's a noble sounding thing, but basically it means he couldn't sleep. I mean, there he was, you know, through the, the watches of the night, you know, slowly ticking off the hours uh, until early in the morning, the, the word translated earnestly in verse 1. Some of you are familiar with other translations that have it early. It has to do with the dawn. So here he spends a sleepless night, and early in the morning, he, he greets the Savior. Uh, he, there are those that want to destroy his life in verse 9. In verse 8, his soul is clinging uh, to God. He is a desperate man. And, and this is the condition of so many. Uh, inside the church, outside the church, uh, believers like David who, uh, who know the Lord and still feel that angst, still feel that anxiety, that, that uh, helplessness, that desperation that moves us to, to cling to God. But certainly, and this is part of my thesis this morning, is that apart from God, we can feel nothing else. I mean, we will always feel anxious. We will always feel insecure. We will always feel lonely and desperate and all of those things. If you want proof, look at headspace. Look at calm. Why are people going into these things? Because they are desperate, desperate for something to ease the anxiety. And a lot of it is centered around the same things that David was experiencing. He was experiencing brokenness in his family. And I know you know what that feels like, brothers and sisters, parents and kids. We, we have the, the angst of, of the tension that is in relationships. Uh, we know what it's like to go through job loss and, and a loss of purpose. Maybe even retirement is that. You know, you haven't lost your job in the sense of you got fired or you got downsized, but you've lost your, your purpose. I mean, for so many years, you got up to, to go and, and to do this thing, to provide for your family. And now, what are you doing? What is your purpose in life? You've had friends that turn up on you. We find ourselves in the same place, and this is a common human condition around the world. You know, refugees that have been driven from their home, this is the type, these are the types of things that they are struggling with in that moment. 
uh, young people who see all of the angst that's going on in the world. I mean, so much of the anxiety and depression comes about because of our social media, Facebook feeds, you know, addiction to phones, all of these things, direct link to anxiety, depression, just the things that we worry about. This is the condition of the world that we live in. So where do we go? Uh, where do we go for answers? Where do we go for satisfaction? Uh, where do we go to, to find the, the comprehensive guide to health and happiness? Well, what's so interesting about this psalm, and maybe you picked this up as we read it, this psalm is, is actually, I mean, when you consider everything that David's going through at the time, this psalm is remarkably upbeat. This psalm is, is remarkably calm. This psalm is, is full of words like exalt and praise and joy and bless and satisfied. This psalm uh, is, 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 is more hopeful than it has any right to be. This psalm uh, speaks to us of, of something that could actually be an answer to our deepest needs and our deepest longings that could actually quench the thirst that we have. And that's the difference between the wasteland and the wetlands, right? The wasteland, the wilderness, it's its own ecosystem. And there are things that mark it, like anxiety and despair and depression and all of those things. They exist in the wilderness. But in the wetlands, you know, that are saturated by moisture and water, other things grow there. Other things that bear fruit and that flower that speak of peace and joy and blessing and exaltation. I want you to notice a, a couple of things here just about the wetlands. Uh, first of all, uh, look at verse 3. Here David says, your steadfast love is better than life. Your steadfast love is better than life. Here is the secret to, to David's peace in the midst of this terrible disruption of his life. The, the secret to his peace is that there is something that is deeper than the circumstances of life. All of the junk that is happening in his life at that moment, though it is real, pales in comparison to the steadfast love of the Lord. Some of you know that whenever you see that term steadfast love, that's the uh, translation or it's the code for the Hebrew term hesed. And hesed is the covenantal love of God. It's his love set in concrete. It's his promise that though you don't deserve it, I will be your God and you will be my people. 
Though you continually run away from me, I will pursue you. Though you act in ways that abandon me, I will never abandon you. And this is really the story of the scripture. It is the hesed. It is the nature of God to pursue from the very moment that Adam and Eve uh, went away from God and took and eat and, and knew they were naked. God said, Adam, where are you? What have you done? He said, Adam, you've run away from me, but I'm going to make a way back. And there is going to be a seed of the woman that is going to crush the head of the serpent. And the story of the Old Testament lays that out chapter by chapter, book by book. As we see God pursuing his people through Noah, uh, through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, through David, and on to great David's greater son. The Lord Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of the hesed. When, G when David says, you know, your steadfast love is better than life, he's not just thinking of a concept. He's leading us to a person. A a a the person of Jesus who would make manifest the steadfast love of our God. He would be the one who would leave heaven and come to earth. He would be the one who would give his life as an atonement for sin. He would be the one who would restore our souls. He would be the one who would be the seal of the steadfast love. So it's not an idea. It's not mindfulness. It's not an empty, sort of vacuous peace. But it is a solid person, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus can speak of the ultimate thirst quenching in John chapter 7, the last and greatest day of, of the Feast of Tabernacles. He stood up and he said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is the ultimate thirst quencher. And David knew this. He knew that the steadfast love of the Lord was better than life. Because the steadfast love of the Lord transcends all the stuff of life and gives it meaning and redemption and, and, and fullness satisfaction. Come, everyone that hungers and thirsts, says the psalmist, come, eat, or says the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 51, 55, and I'll get it right there somewhere. Uh, he says, come, eat, you know, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. I mean, this is the invitation, a steadfast love fulfilled in Jesus that is better than life. Secondly, uh, note here that, that Jesus, or that David, uh, that David says, oh God, you are my God. Did you see that in verse 1? And, and we see that over and over again throughout the psalm, uh, verse, uh, sorry, 
verse verse 5, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise your lips. You have been my help, verse 7, in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to me and your right hand upholds me. So not only is there an object, you know, the steadfast love of God that is manifest in Jesus Christ, but there is an invitation to a personal relationship. There is an invitation for for him to be your God, uh, for him to hold you. I I think about that verse. Is it uh, verse 8? My soul clings to you. There are those whose souls are clinging to headspace, who are clinging to calm. I, I, I need it right now. But I don't think headspace or calm ever come around with a mighty right hand and uphold them. What David recognizes here is that there is a powerful personal relationship with God. It's not an idea. It's not a concept. You know, he is there. He is is real. And, And the invitation is to know that, to be upheld by his mighty right hand, to know uh, the, the reality of the relationship with God. This is what his soul clings to. And this is true hope. This is a comprehensive guide to health and happiness that transcends anything that this world has to offer. There's so much in this psalm, and I, and I hope that you will read it. I hope that you will go back and allow it to read you. Uh, and and that these themes and concepts will resonate with you. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, Yahweh, the God of David, uh, as your personal Lord and Savior, uh, I I can do nothing more this morning than invite you to him. Did you notice, you know, so much of what forms David's thinking is what has happened to him in public worship, verse 2. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. This theme comes up a lot. You know, Psalm 73, Asaph uh, is struggling with life. And he says, I didn't know what my lot was until I went into the sanctuary. And then I saw clearly. You know, God meets us when we get together. It's not that the, you know, this brick and mortar is somehow holy, but God's presence is here in a way that it's not when you're sitting in front of your television or when you're listening to a podcast or even when you are having your private devotions. We have such an individualistic society that I think we have somehow elevated the idea of private devotions above the idea of corporate worship. You know, God calls us to corporate worship because he wants us to see and experience him in a way that we cannot else, uh, we cannot do otherwise. Uh, It's why it's so important, and it's why I would say if God is speaking to you this morning, don't don't turn him off. Don't, Don't drown him out, you know, with 
with critical thoughts or with you know, despairing thoughts. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you this morning through the songs, through the prayers, through the word, whatever it might be, through the fellowship. Because this is what David is clinging to, right? This is what is giving David meaning. This is what is giving David hope. And I want to contend with you, and this is where, you know, I want us to end this morning. I want to contend to you with you that it is a more comprehensive plan than anything that Headspace or Calm or any of these other apps uh, or other philosophies can, can, um, can offer. Mark Knoll in a uh, 2009 book talks about uh, the shape of Christianity in the world. And I don't know what you think about uh, the, the uh, current health of Christianity. You know, maybe if you, um, you know, watch our American news feeds, you, you get a little disappointed. Whether you come from the right or the left, uh, you know, the, the, the vacuousness of uh, the political religions that have sort of emerged, and we look at our own country and we say, you know, is God really on the move in justice and mercy and righteousness and morality? Is, is God really on the move? And it's a fair question to a certain degree. I think our, our country needs to, uh, needs to reckon with God in a very real way. Uh, I'm not sure that we were ever the Christian nation, you know, necessarily that we thought we were. Uh, but it's clearly being shown now that, that we need desperately the God of Psalm 63. We need desperately to cling to him. There is no hope in the right or the left. We need to cling to God alone. But here's, here's the good news. Uh, and, and some of this is, is Mark Knoll's words. If you were... Rip Van Winkle, and you were to wake up from a century's worth of sleep and, and wipe the sleep from your eyes, and you were to try to locate uh, your fellow Christians, you might not start in America, you might not start in Christian Europe, but you would look around the world and you would find the church of God alive and well in surprising ways. Uh, relating to culture and politics in surprising ways, raising surprising theological questions, things that you never would have dreamed of when you, have, uh, when you fell asleep. Over the last sort of 50 to 100 years, the church has uh, seen its largest geographical redistribution than at any other time in, in the church's history. And right now, alive on this continent, are half, this is what they estimate, half of the Christians that have ever lived. Do you know what that means? That, that means that, that Christianity is growing, that more and more people are coming to understand my God, like David says. They're coming to find the, the peace. They're coming to find the exaltation, the praise, the blessing, the satisfaction but where is it happening? Well, 
Let's just start with the Presbyterians. This past Sunday, there were more Presbyterians in church in Ghana, Africa, than there are in Scotland. In Scotland. There were more uh, in congregations of the Uniting Presbyterian Church of South Africa than there are in America. This past Sunday, the churches with the largest attendance in England and France were, were mostly black congregations. About half the churchgoers in London, London were African or African-Caribbean. Today, the largest congregation in Europe is in Kiev, and it's pastored by a Nigerian of Pentecostal background. This past week in Great Britain, you're going to get to meet a couple of these uh, during the Sunday school hour, at least 15,000 Christian foreign missionaries were hard at work evangelizing the world that comes to London. Most of these missionaries are from Africa and Asia. Do you know where some of the largest groups of Christians are growing right now? It may be a surprise to you, but Christianity is growing faster in the Islamic Republic of Iran than any country in the world. Persians, there's reports, Persians coming to faith in places like Australia and America in, 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 in droves. People turning from cultural Islam to a true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we have the best news ever. We have a God that satisfies all the way down. Please do not lose heart. Please do not you know, despair. Please do not let the circumstances of your life dislodge you. But be encouraged. His mighty right hand upholds you. So even if you feel like you are losing your grip, he will never lose his. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the psalm. We thank you for the way that it reads us. It, it penetrates our, our heart all the way down in the places that we, we need it. Lord, we confess our anxiety. We confess our, our worry. We confess our, our cynicism and all of it. But we abhor it. And we turn fresh in faith to you. Oh God, you are our God. Earnestly we seek you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Please, Lord, uphold us by your mighty right arm. And we, may we know, may we know again the satisfaction that comes from being your child from being with your people, beholding your power and glory in the sanctuary. Pray this all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.